Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We're entering into the Advent season through the book of Luke as we see the birth of Jesus and his childhood years. We're really excited to share that with you and hope that this season will be enveloped by remembering Jesus coming to be with us. We'd also want to invite you to partner with us financially. We have a few missionaries that you can find on our website that have really blessed our church by doing college ministry. And also we have seminarians that we want to invite our listeners to support as well. We're starting a church residency program, praying to uh, see God raise up the next generation of pastors at Renew Church. You can find all that information at the description section. Enjoy the podcast. All right, we're going through the book of Luke, and we're on Luke chapter 4. We're going through the temptations of Christ. Oh, by the way, our youth group is headed out to the green room. If you're in junior high and high school, please follow them that way. And if you're looking for a seat, all the front row will be uh, available for you, which is the most coveted row. Everyone's looking for front row seating. So um, anyways, we're in the book of Luke. We're walking to the temptations of Christ, and we're going to break down his temptation into three different parts in a mini sermon series. So we're launching our time today in small groups, something we always do because we want to hear from each other and we want to honor your story. And so the question today is, what is something you lost out on in 2020? Was there a relationship um, that became distant? Was there an opportunity career-wise or a concert that you didn't get to go to? A lot of us are still running after the things we lost out in 2020. And what is something that you really want or are hungry for now? So you can answer one of the two questions. We have five minutes. Would you break off into groups of three or four and just spend some time getting to know the people around you? One, two, one, two, all right. Thanks for sharing, everyone. We'll have another opportunity at the end of service for you guys to finish off your conversation. But back to me, back to to what I missed in 2020. I, what me and Nina lost out on most was seeing her grandma. She's in Australia. And actually during 2020, we were really scared because she was hospitalized and she was 99, 98 years old. We didn't know if she was going to be able to make it out. And Nina wasn't just a distant grandma. She lived with her and pretty much raised Nina as like a mother. And I remember her just being sad. We were crying together. And then we're like, maybe we just go in the middle of the pandemic. We're looking up airline tickets to Australia. It's $22,000 because they're only allowing 10% of the flights to go. So you're paying for 10 tickets. And I'm like, babe, I made some money off of Bitcoin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I was like, Nina, do we empty out our whole savings account for you to visit your grandma? And I wasn't asking that facetiously. I was really wondering whether we should do it. Maybe it's worth it. She loved her grandma. And we're so grateful that her grandma recovered. She did well. And so we got to visit her just a few weeks ago. We were in Sydney. So here's the first picture, um, grandma and Nina hugging. Uh, This was when we were leaving to the airport again. She came out of her room and burst into tears. And then they said goodbye to each other for the 15th time. Maybe I won't see you next year. Because she's been doing that from 85, which makes sense. She gave us money again. And then took it. And then the next slide is uh, Grandma holding Lila, her great-granddaughter. 
I know. Just soak it in. This is the rest of our time together. Look at this photo. It's like seeing the Mona Lisa. And so um, we're just super grateful to be with her. But we also had some time to visit our favorite zoo. And so I want to talk to you about that as well. Because, you know, pull out the photos, tell about your vacation. That's what Sunday's about, right? And uh, one of my favorite animals is a wombat. It basically looks like a stuffy, super furry. It's like made to be a pillow. I think like animals curl up and use it as a pillow. At least I would. And so I'm looking at it, and it has a sign that says it bites, right? But then it also has a, a gate like this short, and it came to the gate, and it came over the top of it and looked at me and said, I don't bite, pet me. <laughs> I said, wow, Australia does not care about liability issues, and yes, I will pet you. <laughs> and so uh, I asked Liam to stand next to it, and he wasn't bitten, and so I pet it. I just kind of, I kind of tagged it, you know? I was scared, I was scared. But it didn't bite me, we fed it some food, and then later I'm walking around in the zoo, and I talked to a zookeeper, and I told her, <laughs> I asked her if you could pet wombats, and she pointed to the sign that clearly says, don't pet a wombat, with a picture that shows a wombat biting your hand, in case you can't read English. And, um, but I told her how much I love wombats, how they look like they're supposed to be pet, and then she said, if you really need a pet a wombat, <laughs> there's a baby one <laughs> in the side of the zoo. And so I love Australia. So I go to this like other display and I'm just giving a wombat like a Swedish massage, right? They're like, oh, it's a baby wombat, it's been hand raised. And so it's just in a normal display, but I'm, now I'm over the fence petting the wombat. So go to Australia. And then um, there's this other, oh, I have a video actually. So we'll show a, a, my wombat video. See? You see? You see how it's talking to you? Hello, Pet me. Furry. No, no, you can't do that. Hello, furry. Hello. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You want to stand, stand next to it? Stand next to it. <laughs> see how safe he was? He's still good. No stitches. Yeah, no stitches. The, the, the zookeeper did say he has given people stitches before. But me and Liam are fine. Again, the baby wombat. The baby wombat's okay. Then there's the quokka. The quokka is like Instagram famous. God made its jaw to have to smile all the time. Even if the quokka's sad, like mourning the death of a loved one, it still has a smile on. So we love the quokka. Uh, we, we paid $30 to take um, koala pictures, which you saw last week. But the quokka photo is 200 bucks for a selfie. That's a lot. $200 for a, a photo. And so Nina was like, I want to do this. And so I didn't say no, because she makes more than half of our income. <laughs> but I did make fun of her a lot. And so she kept hesitating on pressing the purchase button because of my passive aggressive jokes. And then the window closed, and she was very sad. But again, you don't need to pay $200 if you have long arms. And so show the quokka photo. <laughs> all you have to do, uh, all you have to do is reach across their gate. It's three feet. It's made to be. T it's like a petting zoo there. All the animals can be pet, and so we pet the quokka. We fed it, um, and then uh, I fed it. We, we took thousands of dollars worth of photos and videos. We'll sell it to you for two hundred dollars each. 
And then Levi, Levi couldn't quite like get his hand over the railing, so he just threw food on the quokka. And you know, they're such polite creatures. When they eat from your hand, they put their paws really gently on it, like, oh, excuse me. And then as they're eating, they look up and say thank you, and they're just like super polite. So when Levi threw food on it, I felt like the mom was judging me. You know, like, this is why we don't hang out with wild animals. This is why there's a gate between the two of us. So anyways, there's a photo of that as well. I mean, a video. We'll show a video. <laughs> so that's the food that Levi threw on the quokka. All the quokkas are upset, and the mom's cleaning it off. Like, you know? Yeah. So anyways. Thanks for, um, I have other videos and slides, um, but, you know, I'm supposed to preach or something. Uh, Luke chapter 4, 1 through 4. <laughs> when we think about um, this passage, some things that stand out to me is, like, how irrelevant this temptation is. First of all, I've never gone 40 days without food. I can eat anytime I want. So that's not really a temptation, right? Like, I, I'm not like, man, I really want food. And when I do want food, my temptation is not to turn stone into bread. I've never been tempted to be like, use magic powers and turn stone into bread. But when I think about this passage, when I think about hunger, I think there are many things that we hunger after. For me and Nina, we were hungry and thirsty to see uh, her grandma, to, to hold her again, to know that she's going to be okay. And I think we're all, we all feel hunger in deep and significant ways, even if it's not uh, the way Jesus felt hunger for food. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So we see his temptation in the wilderness as a counterpart to his baptism. The baptism had a lake teeming with life. He had the people, someone he loved there, John the Baptist. He was affirmed as a beloved son of God. In the wilderness, they called this area the desolation in Hebrew. It was completely barren. He was alone. And his sonship was questioned over and over again by Satan. Where for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. So we might only, we probably only have a snapshot of these 40, 40 days. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. And so on the next slide, I'm thinking again about what you are hungry for. And I could almost mark out my life with what I was hungry for. I remember being in high school, college, and then entering my young adult life, uh, not having a girlfriend, and then seeing my, my best friends uh, find their significant other. Ernest with Stephanie, and then Caleb, we hung out every day over, uh, over the summer. All of a sudden, he was busy, right? And so I remember sitting in the car, calling him and um, saying, hey, Caleb, let's hang out tonight. I'm ready to go. Where should, we, where should we head? He's like, I'm hanging out with my girlfriend. Can I come as well, too, also? <laughs> he said no, but, you know, with many words. And then I, I was like, all right, that's fine. I've been waiting to watch a movie just with you. And <laughs> if you're free next Friday, let's go watch that movie together. He's like, I'm sorry, Wilson. I'm watching that movie with my girlfriend. And I said, can I also come? <laughs> there are two sides. You, she could sit on your left. I'll sit on your right. 
<clears throat> I think a lot of my 20s was spent looking for intimacy, hungry for someone to connect to and to not be the third wheel. I remember being hungry for significance and achievement, planting renew. There was a part of me that was fulfilling God's calling, wanting to serve people, but there was another part of me that took significance and value out of this ministry. I was hungry for security and a place to call home. So let's go through Zillow every day, trying to find something affordable. This was 2018, but I found a house for $450,000 in Placentia, three bedrooms. My mind was blown, right? So I remember talking to Jonathan, who saw the same house. And he's like, dude, I was just there yesterday. Within an hour, 15 couples walked in and out of the house. So it was basically like a ploy. But I think in different parts of our life, we feel hungry. Sometimes that hunger is something we could point to and touch and reach out for. Sometimes that hunger is something that's been uh, taken away from us or that we want but we can't have. But there's things that we are all hungry for. So how does Satan offer to satisfy Jesus' hunger? hunger? He was um, fasting for 40 days. And on the 40th day, at the end of his fast, when he's at the verge of uh, severe malnutrition, he says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And you'd ask, like, man, if Satan was whispering something, wouldn't it be way more violent than that? Like, go kill someone or steal something or hurt somebody. This doesn't, this seems really, um, you know, neutral. Like, it's, it's not that bad. But Satan doesn't have to get us to do deep harm to ourselves and others. He can have us just take a few steps off course, away from God's calling in our life, away from being effective in his ministry. He could just drown us in Netflix, and that's as good as anything else. For Jesus, if he were to turn stones into bread, he would be violating his human nature. God comes down. He's fully divine in his nature. He's totally good. He's perfect. But he gives up parts of his not divine nature, but his divine power. I believe when he's on earth, he's not omnipowerful. He's not omnipresent. He can't raise himself from the dead. He lived a fully human life with fully human limitations as a model to us to show us what a person who's walking with God, how a person who's walking with God can live. He still performed miracles, but he performed them the way Elijah and Moses performed them, not out of his own power, not out of his own divinity, but out of dependence with the spirit. And so Jesus, if he were to turn stones into bread, which was not God's will for him uh, in that moment, he would be operating outside of God's will. And he would be breaking his human nature to satisfy his hunger. He would be forfeiting being a model to us. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. Let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there is grace. There we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. We're able to follow Jesus because he's not teleporting everywhere. We're able to follow Jesus because his feet touch the ground and get dirty. We're able to follow Jesus because he was willing to walk through hunger and the loss of his father. He was willing to face death and starvation. He was willing to be a refugee and survive a genocide. He was willing to be crucified. Wherever this life takes us, 
we can see Jesus' footprints there first, and we can follow him. Secondly, it cancels Jesus as our sacrifice. Jesus is able to represent us before the Father, taking our sin and standing in our place because of his human nature. He represents humans because he takes on humanity. So as he dies on the cross, he's able to forgive us and reconcile us with the Lord. And by him turning stones into bread, he would be forfeiting um, his mission to save us and to be our model. So how does Satan offer to satisfy our hunger? In the same way that he tempts Jesus, he also tries to get us to make the good thing the ultimate thing, or a good thing, an idol, a God. It was, it's good to eat. It's good to have substance. But Jesus was, but Satan was calling Jesus to forfeit um, his calling and following the Lord by eating, making food his God. And it's easy to do that. Maybe our idol is, fa- is our Facebook stock that jumped 25% like Wednesday, right? Or our Dogecoin that still is yet to recover. Um, but remember 2020 when you worshiped that? Instead of God giving you security, you, we turned to, um, you know, AMC and GameStop. But still, looking at our IRA, looking at our bank account can be our idol. It's a good thing, but it became our ultimate thing. Our idol can be beauty, where we give our value to it instead of beauty becoming an expression of who we are in the Lord, being a son or a daughter, being joyful in him. Um, Social media can be our idol, waiting to be seen by others while neglecting the eyes of Jesus. And then the second category that Satan uses to satisfy our hunger is sin. We sin because it, it gives us something. We sin because it offers some type of comfort to our soul, some type of numbing to our pain, a significance when we feel worthless. You know, I'm really grateful for Roy Kim who walked us through a course on sexual addiction. And one thing he told us was that if you're willing to let go of porn or sleeping around or, or dating to fill your heart, um, it's kind of like saying goodbye to a good friend. We don't think of those things like that, but they are, aren't they? Porn uh, comforted us when we felt rejected. It, it gave us excitement when we were bored. It held our hand through the hardest, uh, maybe, sicknesses of our life. Sin gives us something, and that's why we hold on to it. There's a part of it that satisfies us. But at the same time, the sin that we eat eats us. And the next slide is a carnivorous plant. At the end of its tentacles are what seems to be nectar. It's a sweet fluid. And so, um, you know, insects like flies will go in and start eating the nectar, what they think is nectar. But instead, it's sticky. So as it lands on it, the thing it's eating starts to bind it to itself. It can't fly away. It's stuck there. It entraps it. And then what it's eating is actually the plant's digestive fluid. So as it's eating this sweet, um, this sweet liquid, that liquid is actually eating it. And isn't that our experience of sin over and over again? It's sweet for a season, but in the end, it leads to death. 
as Solomon told us. Getting drunk might numb the pain. <laughs> Escalating in our anger might allow us to get our way that time. Manipulating someone we love allows us to control them for a little bit. Sleeping with someone we just might met might give us a little bit of intimacy. But in the end, it corrodes, it corrodes our soul, and the hunger we felt just grows. What used to satisfy us can't anymore. So how does Jesus respond to Satan in the next slide? He uses a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 3. And in fact, every time he stands against Satan, he stands against him with the word of God. Again, being our model. Even though he is the word of God, he teaches us to use the word of God. It says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he's saying this in a time in Israel's history where they're, where they're super hangry. They're going from Egypt to the promised land. They can't sow or reap. They probably ran out of supplies. And now they're complaining. God, why do you have us die at the desert? Why have you abandoned us? Have you, have you just freed us so we can be buried here? And they turned and, uh, on Moses. They talked about killing him. And then they remembered Egypt. And they said, Egypt was so good. Egypt was so good. Remember the leek? Remember the fish? Remember the prime rib? Man, so good. Let's go back. And you know why they did that? It was because they were used to eating from the hands of their slave masters. They were used to eating from the hand of their idols, from the hand of Pharaoh. And all of our sins feed us, too. All of our idols feed us. But God caused them to be hungry. So, and then feeding you with manna, neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It's in the hunger that God can feed us and that we learn to eat from his hands instead of the hand of Pharaoh, the hand of our sin, the hand of idols. Hunger actually has things to reveal about our souls. We hate being hungry. We live in a generation where we could click and satisfy every hunger. We can get validated. We could agree on flat earth, find people, right? We can, um, we can feel important. We can be a hero in gaming. We can have instant success on TikTok. We, we as a generation fear being hungry. We fear not having. And yet hunger has things to gift us. And God forces us at times into a place of hunger, not allowing us to have what we want, taking away something we do have because hunger reveals. So what does hunger reveal? Hunger reveals whether we are ultimately dependent on God. Hunger reveals whether we love God for God. Hunger shows us what we desire most. Think about number two. Hunger reveals whether we love God for God. So much of my prayer life is dedicated to praying for idols because it's the girlfriend that will make me feel loved, because it's the success that will give me significance, because it's the house that will give me peace. I often ask God for idols to worship. Instead of saying, God, I'm hungry, 
but I believe that you can fill me. I want you. Second slide, what does fasting give us? Fasting is similar to being hungry. It's the same state, but it's a voluntary state. You see, many times we're hungry, again, because we want something and our arms aren't long enough to reach it. 2020 took something away, a circumstance, a, a person took something away from us, so we're hungry. But fasting is embracing and choosing to be hungry. Fasting is having something and saying, I'm actually going to live without it. And that's what Jesus does. When he goes to the wilderness, no one keeps him hostage there. When he gets hungry at day three, he could have walked into the town and buy food. He could le le go into the wilderness carrying a backpack worth of supplies. But he fasts. He chooses to be hungry. Something we've forgotten how to do, many of us. But think about all the things fasting gives us. Fasting resets our relationship with the object. Um, when I went to Australia, man, Nina's family can cook. They are amazing cooks. They had a garden that would grow their soybeans to make soy sauce from scratch. I, I don't think many of you have had soy sauce from scratch, but it's really good. <laughs> That's their standard of cooking, scratch, from scratch, from like the plant, from the earth. So anyways, I gained five pounds, um, which I was like really disciplined about. Like I tried my best and I gained five pounds. And so when I come back, I, I do this thing when I kind of lose control of something in my life, when I'm not calling the shots anymore, when, I'm, when I can't control when I eat, what I eat, or how much I eat, or I can't control when I game, how much I game, and, and how, you know, what it's taking out of my life, I, I do a fast. So I came back and I did a 24-hour fast uh, and then another 24-hour fast where I'm eating only lunch, right? So you fast 24 hours, you eat lunch, fast 24 hours again, eat lunch again. And then I started on... Um, then I had a pullback view of my eating, and I reset my relationship with food. I'm like, okay, um, I'm reset. Where, when am I eating? How much am I eating? When am I eating? And it helps me be thoughtful again. Same thing with gaming. There's times where I love video games. I used to game way more than I do now. But I download this one game. It's auto chess. I love it a lot. And... Um, and sometimes it starts eating away at all these other things like sleep or holding my child, you know, um, you know, insignificant things, um, conversations with my wife. And so I delete my game because I want to reset my relationship. I don't want it to be my master. Even though it's not a bad thing to game, I want to be the master of it. It resets our relationship with the object. When we came back from Australia, we had our kids fast screens for six days because they were watching 16 hours of Netflix on the way back, right? That's all you can do as a parent. Thank God for Netflix on the plane. But, but it's hard. It's hard as a parent. Netflix is amazing. You, it, I call it the nuke button. They act up, nuke button. They're bored, nuke button. I'm, I'm tired of them, nuke button, right? You just microwave their brain. They, they sit so still. They just... <laughs> you're perfect when you're sleeping and when you're watching Netflix. And some of us are like, even as parents, we're like scared to not let them watch screens. But then who's the master of our home? Who's calling the shots? Fasting allows us to reset the relationship with the object. Um, when the, and then secondly, fasting allows us to reset our relationship with God. 
When we let go of something, our hunger grows. And we're just trained to reach for something to satisfy it. But as we mature as a Christian, what we're to do is to embrace the hunger. Whether the hunger was something ripped from our hands or something that we're surrendering and fasting, we feel the hunger and we allow it to expand and say, God, I want this from you and no one else. It points our hunger to God and also it develops resilience for the hard times. When we fast and we're choosing to let go, there, the other times when we're forced to let go, it just feels different. We're familiar. Jesus kissed death at his 40th day of fasting. So when he met death again on the cross, it was a friend. It was familiar. And I wonder if we, in our fasting, have been able to develop um, this, this detachment to this world to a degree where we can go without because we've learned how to do this. The uh, we have three more slides. Again, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So next slide, how are we creating space to live off of God's word in our life? That's a bold statement. For Jesus to go 40 days not eating at the brink of severe malnutrition or in the middle at the end of severe malnutrition and say that I still am living off God's word over bread. I'd rather die in hunger then satisfy my soul outside of the Lord. And he had to make that decision again on the cross. And there he does die. And God does become a word of life again, raising him from death. He still comes through. How are we creating space to say, God, I need your word to live? Um, I was talking to Ben. We were co-working. And I was like, Ben, I bought a, a back brace right, to help me with my posture, because for years, I've carried the weight of my head, neck, and shoulders on my rib cage, you know, like, I'm just like this, like, I'm, I'm such a sloucher, especially if I'm, like, uh, doing my, my laptop and in meetings, I'm just like, what's up, man, and so my rib cage is, like, really strong, but then I'm wearing this back brace, it's helping me, like, stand up straight, and my back is super sore, because it's not used to carrying any weight, even though this is like the natural posture that God's made us to be, I'm so used to doing this that this is uncomfortable. This is hard. This, this feels strange and my back is sore. We're so used to living off all these other things that going to God's word every day might feel foreign. Taking a full day to Sabbath might feel like a waste. Sitting in front of Jesus might feel inferior than sitting in front of our screen or our friend or the TV. But do we believe like Jesus did? That we don't live on anything else but God's word. And if we do, how is that taking hold of our life? Our life is evidence of what we believe. And for me, I'm probably still rather eat food <laughs> when I'm hungry than eat scripture. What about you? We have a daily reading. Um, we're starting the book of Hebrews. We're finishing up the book, book of 
<coughs> Exodus. You can find it on our uh, website under events. And it's amazing to come together around God's word as a community. We have about 100 people signed up from our church of 200 plus, so half of the church. And when people are in it, I see God feed us. I'm witnessing the way that God's word meets you, and I'm celebrating it. It's amazing to take God's word every day, to learn how to sit with Jesus, to not say anything, to hold off on the request, and just to say you are enough. Being in silence and solitude is fasting. Sitting in front of the Lord and, and allowing our hunger to open up and say, would you meet me here? Would you satisfy me here? As I sit in front of you and look at you, would you be enough? Observing the Sabbath and then hearing and speaking God's word in community. That's why we gather. You know, the word preach in scripture and teach, there's actually 33 different Greek words that are just translated to preach and teach. And we've confined those words into this experience. But actually in the Greek, most of those words have to do with you talking to each other and giving each other God's word and praying for one another and being each other's priests. That's why we stop in service and we turn around. And I hope that you're awaiting the word of God from the people around you. And that you're willing to speak God's truth as you pray for them. Last slide. We are satisfied in God when we can, and uh, when we are satisfied in God, we can generously live <laughs> towards others. Um, you know, I think about when I wanted a girlfriend over many years. I wanted a girlfriend out of um, wanting to consume. It wasn't. The re all the reasons I had for wanting a girlfriend was about me, was about consuming. I don't want to be alone. I want to feel loved. I want to feel valued. I want to feel secured. I want someone who will make me laugh. When we approach dating, when we approach our children, when we approach our wife with lack, with hunger that only God can feel, we crush them. We put too much pressure on them. We crush their marriage. No one can love you the way you need to be loved. There's a part of your heart that God made to be hungry so that you can find it in him. But when you are satisfied with the Lord, you could go uh, to your boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife and say, I'm here satisfied in the Lord and wanting to give what I have from the Lord to you. And as a friend or a partner kind of at that level, would you are receiving their satisfaction in the Lord and their overflow of love from him into your life. And then your marriage and your children thrive. You go to your workplace. And instead of networking and seeing dollar signs or connection points or how you can use someone, you are fully satisfied in the Lord. Right? You don't have to brag about your position. You don't have to talk about your network. You know who you are. And you see them and their people. You see beyond the work they do, beyond how they could benefit you, and you care about their soul. When you look at your customers, they're not just people paying you. They're people who have the dignity of the Lord. When we are satisfied in God, we can live generously towards others. Um, you know, after me and Nina pet the quakas, <laughs> I forgot the story. It's really important. Uh, we went back home, and... I said to Nina, what did I say? I journaled it. I said, 
um, man, what your husband isn't willing to spend for a $200 photo, uh, your rich dad just gave you. Like, your rich dad just gave you photo after photo, video after video. Nina doesn't have a father. He passed when she was in college. She responds, I know. I know is her way of saying, God sees what I need, and he gave it to me. And I've heard her say this many times. Like when Lila came out frictionlessly, and she just sleeps like an angel week three. Sorry, other moms. Um, Nina's like, man, God knew because my life is so hard. I needed something easy. When Rebecca Debob dropped off flowers after we got home from Australia, Nina had a really tough day with the kids. Um, they were acting up. Everyone was <coughs> jet lagged. And when she saw flowers, she said, God knew. And, every, and there's these moments where she looks up and says, God knows what I need. And he provides. When Matt and Deanna started helping with Siam in the middle of our paternity leave, and then in the middle of Australia, I was like, man, can you believe Matt and Deanna just, came, just got dropped out of heaven and just started helping us? And she's like, God knew. Now, I don't want you to think that I don't care about my wife and I don't want to spoil her or I didn't buy our anniversary gift. So um, I was walking back. We were in Sydney. Our last day there, I was walking back home. Uh, after running some errands, and I saw this fish market, right? And they had oysters. And I bought the most expensive oysters from New Zealand. They're the biggest things I've ever seen. $24 for six. I was like, Nina loves oysters. She didn't get to have any in Australia. I'm going to spoil her like the Lord, right? So I just, I spent the money. I cried a little bit. You know, the guy's pulling it out of my hand, but I gave it to him. I got the oysters. I took it home. I said, Nina, see, I love you too. She ate the oysters. She said that it was amazing. And then that night, she was super nauseous. She couldn't get out of bed. And she was like squirreling in pain. I was like, we're screwed. I don't know how we're going to get home. Like, we have 16 bags of luggage, three children, and you're, you're, you should carry everything, right? So I start praying to the Lord. And um, the next morning, she wakes up, and she was good. And she said, God knew. And in those moments, I just remembered that, man, even the people who love you, sometimes they're just giving you rotten oysters. And it's like their best, you know? Think about the people who loved you most. Haven't they all given you rotten oysters and made you sick? And then God comes. And when you look to him to fill those holes in your heart, whether it's a dad who passed early, whether it's a, a girlfriend or boyfriend you don't have or a marriage that feels distant or you don't have enough money and you're feeling insecure and you look to him, he knows. We're going to take communion. I'm going to steal it from my friend Jonathan. Thank you. God, we thank you so much for how you love us and the lengths that you go to satisfy our soul, to bring us peace, to give us love, to forgive us. You die on the cross. You face death and sin and shame for us so that when we become Christian, we have every heavenly blessing. We can be fully satisfied in you. 
I pray for a church that will live in that reality, that will live in that reality, that we would give up rotten oysters, we would give up our sin, our idols, to eat from you. In the times where we're hungry, help us to embrace it and to point our hunger to you, Jesus. Today, we're eating the body of Christ. May it satisfy you. Take this bread representing the body of Christ. Today, we're drinking the blood of Christ in remembrance of him. May it satisfy you. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Before we go into our small groups, I just want to lead us in like 40 seconds of sitting with the Lord. Will we just place the things we're hungry, the things that we're discontent with in front of him? So go ahead and just place that in front of the Lord. Name it and see it. As you see your hunger, what you're thirsting for, think about all the th ways that it's reached out to pull things in. The idols and sins that we are using to give us significance or value or identity or love. Now, if you're willing to, would you pray this prayer? Would you say, Jesus, I choose to be hungry, and I will wait for you to satisfy my soul. Jesus, I choose to be hungry, and I will wait for you to satisfy my soul. Amen. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches, to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, 
this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.